Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell, and today we are pulling back Hollywood's crypt to wish you all a very happy holiday and review the secular Christmas classic it's a Christmas story. It's we're we're gonna talk about this. I I don't would argue it's not secular only in that yes it's all about christmas but it's not about like the religious part of christmas yeah so you would argue it is secular yes never mind hello (laughs) secular is when it's non-religious sacred is when it is religious oh then the incredibly secular a christmas story You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's, whether it's secular or sacred, it's incredibly nostalgic. I feel that this was written specifically for my parents and your parents and everyone who grew up in the Midwest, which I'm realizing your parents didn't. Yeah, I was about to say, like, so we, we sat down to watch this and you said this was your dad's favorite Christmas movie. I don't know if it's his favorite Christmas movie, but he's said on multiple occasions that this is what his childhood looked like. Okay. Which makes me really worry about my dad and makes a lot of sense. Sure. Fair. <laughs> um, I had never seen this. Oh, that's right. I had never seen A Christmas Story. I don't think my parents have any particular attachment to it one way or the other. Maybe that's because they grew up in the Bay Area versus the Midwest. Or maybe they just didn't find anything to relate to it. I don't know. I do agree with your point. This is an incredibly, like, nostalgic and, like, hyper-specified look into the past for a certain generation of person. Yes. Yes. And you can take this out in editing if you want to or not, but I have to take off my elf shoes because they are making my feet way too hot. Oh, fair enough. Listeners, if Andy decides to keep this in, I wore elf slippers to get in the mood, but one, they're loud for a podcast, and if you hear jingle bells in the background, that's why. And two, they're extremely warm. Well, now I'm going to keep all of this for the (laughs) beautiful holiday look behind the scenes. Well, yes, because I am always, if nothing, needing a theme. Indeed. Like, this movie is Christmas, so have to dress up and wear Christmas themes. Well, funny enough, like, we're recording this much later in the year and much closer to Christmas than we did our last couple Christmas episodes, so here we have it. Here we have it. In case you've been like me and somehow never seen A Christmas Story... Which I don't know how you made it. Ah. It is the story of Ralphie, a young boy growing up in the... Midwest in the 50s? I'm pretty sure 50s. Late 50s, maybe early 60s? Yeah. Growing up in the Norman Rockwell Midwest Golden Age and is just like the strung together adventures he has the week before Christmas involving his wacky family his juvenile friends and his 
deep deer quest to get a red rocket BB gun for Christmas, to which everyone tells him, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Yes, correct. That's this movie. That's that's all this movie is. If you've seen a decorative leg lamp being used as an ornament, that's from this movie. If you've seen um, someone say, oh, he can't put his arms down, that's from this movie because Ralphie's little brother gets too bundled up by their mother and can't put his arms down. Like, there's a lot that this movie puts in popular culture. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say, if, if, like, dressing up in a bright pink Easter bunny suit yes. is, like, a Christmas thing for you, it's because of this film. And there's one other thing, maybe the thing that is, like, most well-known for that I actually kind of want to get into with you. This movie cannot possibly have been... The thing that perpetrated the meme of licking a frozen flagpole. No, that's just a thing. That's just a thing, but I feel like this movie didn't come up with that as an idea, but I do think this movie, like, propagated that as an idea. Oh, yeah. Because even never having seen this movie before, I heard about this movie as a kid, mostly in the context of the flagpole scene. Sure. Growing up in Colorado, which did have cold winters and snow and all of that, it was like legitimately a thing that would be dared around the schoolyard. And I do recall I had an actual classmate who licked the frozen flagpole. Why? I Because of an insecure need to do the thing, and it played out pretty much exactly like it did in A Christmas Story. Okay. I, that's, why? I just don't understand. Like, you're going to sit there. You're going to get stuck. It's gonna freeze. Why would you feel the need to do that to yourself? Because, and I think this is one of the things that this film really had an intention with. It knows exactly the peer pressure of the elementary schoolyard. Oh, yes, because he got triple dog dared. Yeah. And, like, I don't recall... If there was a triple dog dare situation, but I definitely think it was like a, no, I'm going to do this because you all are telling me that I'm going to get stuck to it and I'm going to prove you wrong because like I'm a child and I need to prove you wrong. There was some weird like pseudo maybe bullying going on in this situation. I don't know. (laughs) I was outside of it. You weren't. Are you really telling me this because you're actually like, it happened to a friend? Oh, no, I would be 100% like, yeah, I've looked a flagpole. It sucked. It's why I have a lisp. It's not why I have a lisp because I didn't do that. Why do you have a lisp? Uh-huh. Oh, I was hoping for some like really good backstory. No, I just, my S's come out like that. And I love that about you. Which, listeners, if you've listened to our other 80-some-odd episodes, you're well aware of at this point, but I'm revealing it now, like a secret origin. (laughs) What if they're not aware of it because you're paying way more attention to it than anyone ever has? Now you're never going to be able to unhear it. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. So, yeah, I mean, this, like, spoiler alert... 
I don't think either of us cared for this film very much. It was fine. It's it's perfectly fine. Like it's not a must watch on Christmas. It does not have that resonance to us. And I think this movie does like two things really well. One is kind of accurately portraying what a certain kind of kids perspective of the world is. Sure. Very imaginative, very beset upon by parental forces and very like actually kind of shitty in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and this is maybe the biggest nod I will give to A Christmas Story. In its presentation, and this isn't even in my notes, I was just thinking about this as we were getting ready. In its presentation, it actually serves as a really good damning of capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Because he shoots his eye out. He spends the entire story on a quest to acquire a thing it's not to be a better person he doesn't like do a good deed for his his mom or anything like that the entire time he's talking to everyone he can to try and convince them to buy him a gun his shitty father buys him said gun which like is a is a bonding moment between father and son but like is objectively bad because immediately he does the thing everyone warned him about and almost kills himself by shooting his eye out breaks his glasses and immediately like freaks out and covers it up and lies to his mother covers it up and lies to his poor mother You know, okay, jamming on this, there's not just that. There's also the decoder ring. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which leads to, he spends, it's kind of a B-plot, but he spends a good amount of time focusing on, I'm going to get this decoder ring, and then it's a commercial. It's just a commercial to buy more Weetabix or something. Yes. Yeah. And then... Also, his dad with the leg lamp. I won an award. Well, what is it? I don't know. It's a major award. And he's very what is pleased it? with himself what is it? and is it's a leg. of the neighborhood because he's what got is a leg lamp and the whole time. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's a, a leg, you know, like a statue. Wow. Yeah, statue. Yeah, statue. We do watch this kid hit puberty. Certainly we watch him find his his first masturbatory object. Indeed. Yes. Yeah, there's that. The leg lamp, the father as a character is very like, I work all day and then I get my thing... Yes. I get my thing that gives my life purpose because my family certainly isn't that thing. There's a extended visiting Santa at the mall sequence. Mm-hmm. And the primary like plot development of that is just the giant line to visit Santa. And it's a mall Santa, so he's a little drunk and ornery and wants to get the fuck out of there on, like, when his shift's over. Mm-hmm. And they really play that up. It's very overstimulating. It's very, like, 
nightmarish. It makes several kids cry. Mm-hmm. And that's like the thing you're, especially if you're like raised as somebody who is down for Christmas. Um, that's like the big thing is like, oh, you're going to visit Santa at the mall and we're going to take a picture of him on your lap or you on his lap. Him on your lap. Who's to say? It's a very different picture. <laughs> the child like sitting there like, help me. Yeah, exactly. I can't breathe. But yeah, like I, I feel like underneath it all, because I, I feel like I've never heard this take. Everybody's always like, oh my God, a Christmas story with the bunny and he's so funny and there's the bully and all that. Nobody's ever like, yeah, but have you ever stopped and looked at what happens in a Christmas story? Because it's actually a fascinating condemnation of, of our capitalist hellscape. Yeah. And I'm willing to make that point. I appreciate that. I think there's also a lot of criticism about that time period in general. Yes. Because there's, okay, there's the whole washing out with soap thing, but also the parenting in this movie is not good. The mom makes her child eat food by making him gorge himself and act like an animal. Does she make him, or is it the only thing that he will... Like, it's presented in the film as this is the only way you can get him to eat. This is how he wants to do this, and any other way besides... Pretend you're a little piggy boy. Doesn't work. <laughs> Pretend you're a pig boy. Now I can see the argument where like by not teaching him to eat like a normal person, she's not displaying good parenting. I mean, I don't know. There's like comments at the table about like someone starving in China and someone starving in Africa. And there's right. just like a lot of that kind of... Mm. There's a lot of damning critiques around the parenting that was popular at that time, which was sit down, shut up, do what you're told, and if you don't, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. Right. Really, the only thing we're missing is any sort of, like, you know, I was about to say any sort of corporal punishment, but that's literally the washing your mouth out with soap thing. Oh, hell yeah. The only thing we're missing is any, like, actual physical... Yeah. Abuse of a child. Like, the dad doesn't tell Ralphie to go out back and pick his own switch. Right. Or, like, take off his belt at him. Yeah. Which, presumably, I guess we're supposed to think is, like, a good thing. It's so, it's so fascinating. The dad. He isn't even given a first name. He's just referred to as the old man. Played by Darren McGavin. The guy who's obsessed with the lamp. Is... The, the movie wants us to think that he is shitty in a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, has a heart of gold. And loves his wife that he is constantly, like, neglecting and emotionally manipulating and being, like, just shitty to. Shit, not awful, but shitty to. Oh, he actually, like, pulls her close on Christmas Eve and they watch the snow and they have a moment. Oh, okay. The movie wants us to think he has a heart of gold because he buys his son the thing his son wanted the most for Christmas. Hmm. Even though, like, he's he's just a asshole. Well, it's a commentary on the, on the satellite family of the time. The mom yeah. is really the one who raises the children. The father is exceedingly absentee. 
the mom favors kind of helping and doting on her children so much so that she kind of, um, well, to use a, she kind of emasculates them. Sure. And like you made the point of like, this is the only way he eats and no one has taught him otherwise or like made him eat otherwise. And that kind of hinders her kids. It very much hinders her kids. Beyond that, my, my biggest thing against their mother is she is just a sad sack. Mm-hmm. Like she is a, you look at what actually happens to her and she is just like a, a deeply sad person mm-hmm. who is kind of aware of it, but also kind of just tries to soldier on. It feels like a lot of the comedy of this movie regarding the mother is like, Oh, her husband and kids don't really listen to her. Oh, she has ideas and opinions and they're completely and totally overridden. Women. LOL. And then she breaks her husband's lamp and she's like, I don't know. It just happened. Oh, well. Through an incredibly passive aggressive like act is the only way she gets any sort of like victory. Yeah, I, I, I totally see that. Yeah, and her son, rather than own up to the fact that, sure enough, he he shot his eye out, just as everyone said, he cries, and she babies him, and is like, it's all gonna be okay, and he gets away with exactly the reason she didn't want him to have the toy in the first place. And doesn't he get his friend in trouble because of that? No, he gets his friend in trouble because he says a word and he tells his, he tells his mom that he heard it from that kid. That's right. That's right. That's right. He drops the F-bomb. Yep. And his mom is like, where did you hear that? As she's like washing his mouth out. Right. Like, yeah. As she's waterboarding her kid. No big deal. No big deal. You know. It's fine. Oh, but it's meant to be funny because she also like licks the soap and goes, eh. Yeah. Comedy. Comedy. Did you ever have your mouth washed out with soap? No, I never had my mouth washed out with soap. I did get spanked when I was little. Sure. Um, but that was about the worst of my own corporal uh, punishment. <laughs> you got off easy. Yeah. <laughs> White man in America. No, I mean, my my grandmother was very, like... And also, like, this is my paternal grandmother, so the person... With whom my dad was like, oh yeah, this movie is my childhood. Ah. Absolutely washed my mouth out with soap because I told a lie. Oh, shit. And it was like soap she had made. So like there was like tons of like baking soda. I was about to say. And like lie. Did your grandmother make this as punishment soap? No, my grandmother just made soap because she was a woman of... A certain economic class in the 50s and 60s who was like, well, soap's expensive and I can make it myself. You know what? Fair. (laughs) Which, like, she's who I get my jar thing from where, like, anytime we eat something out of a nice Mm. jar and we're done with the jar, we wash it out. That is absolutely Doris. Gotcha. So, like, the economics around this movie, I'm like, I get this. Not enough to have nostalgia for. Yeah. But I get it. That brings up a good question I, I want to ask. In that, what is the timeline regarding who is this movie actually for? Like, if, if it's like, 
it, it's of an age where there's cars and coal burning furnaces in the home. Mm-hmm. Like, I I think they have a TV, but it's like one of those like five inch by five inch like we're actually listening to the radio TVs, and I'm just trying to sit here like. Was this meant to be... This came out in the 80s. Which is so weird to me. Was it meant to be for people who were, like, 40 in the 80s and therefore, like, born in the 40s? Maybe? Okay, because I've said it, like, multiple times. My dad was born in 1956. Sure. So, I think maybe that crowd. I think so. And I, I like, whatever age bracket your your dad is in, so, like, boomer. Boomers. Yeah, boomer. I, I, he is I think, solidly in the boomer category. I think that is the, like, answer to that question. Yeah. This is made for boomers to, like, think back on and and, and be nostalgic about. Which is maybe why it's like slightly horrifying to us. Oh my god, okay, so you know what I just thought about. So, this is made for the boomers. Alright, alright. Nostalgia films that are like made for me. Holy crap. In 40 years, is someone going to be making a podcast about like, who was the Barbie movie made for? It's probably like, okay, you know what? My mom was really into it. And she was born in like... 1989, so it's like 90s kids. You know what? Yes. Yeah, this movie is our Barbie movie. Oh God. Well, I see. Here's the thing. I can I can do one more. I can compare this to another Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. This is to boomers as Jingle All the Way is to our generation. The Schwarzenegger movie. Yes. I've seen it like once. Okay, see, that is my dad's favorite Christmas movie. And that is a movie all about a man in the 90s trying to find the right toy for his kid. It's just as much as a like tongue in cheek satire about capitalism, it's just as much a Christmas movie that is about the thing under the tree. Interesting. But it came out 10 years after this movie. Interesting. Okay. That's fascinating. And, I mean, that makes sense because it's like, oh, let, if it came out for the 10 years younger crowd, let's focus on the most masculine man in America right now. And let's make him have a really normal plight of, I have to be manly and provide for my family and I have to do it in the most extra way that I possibly can. I don't know if Jingle All the Way is on the list. I think I'm going to have to put it on our Christmas list or make you watch it because it it, it has a special place in my heart. Okay. It's very much about the dad who is the business dad and his kid actually like hates him because he's such a shitty business dad. <laughs> and the, okay. the thing he thinks can make it right is to get the Power Ranger his son wants on Christmas. 
That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about Jingle All the Way. We're not talking about Jingle All the Way. We're talking about a Christmas story. Can we talk about the fan club decoder ring situation? Did you have a decoder ring when you were a kid? I'm sure I must have at some point, but I never had like, I never sat and waited. I, I never had anything mail order. Okay. So if I had a decoder ring, it was something I like got in a coin game at the mall or, or something along those lines. Sure. Okay. Now I did pour over some old comic books that were full of the ads of like, the see-through glasses and the secret decoder ring and the buzzer and and mail order now and and we'll send it to you. So I was like aware that was a thing. Sure. Did you ever have a decoder ring? I didn't ever have a decoder ring. I was weirdly obsessed with a like kids code book where it was like we're going to teach you a secret code. Ooh. And like so I would write like little secret letters sure. and carry around my little Harriet the Spy notebook. I like that. Um, but I don't think I ever had a decoder ring. I did like piggyback off of my older sister's obsession with the Babysitters Club. Okay. And the Babysitters Club had a fan club situation. Oh, okay. And I really wanted to be part of that and be like, I can start my own Babysitters Club and have kid kits and, like, do all this stuff. But, like, that also involved work and yeah. my attention span didn't hold that long. I, I think I missed the, like ex-fan club mm-hmm. moment. I think I did a, a call-in hotline once, like like the Batman hotline or something like that. Sure, sure. It was the Batman <laughs> hotline. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I actually have, like, phone trauma because when I was, like, four, I prank-dialed 911, and they immediately called back, and my mom picked up, and I... It's the angriest my mother had ever been with me oh. up until that point in my life. Oh, no. So I wasn't, like, messing around on the phone doing other calls or anything like that. Oh, I was going to say, who amongst us hasn't accidentally called 911? But it sounds like yours was actually very upsetting because of your mother's response. <laughs> I clearly remember it. Oh, no. Almost 30 years later. Oh, no. And yet you haven't had your mouth washed out with soap. And yet I haven't had my mouth washed out with soap. I haven't turned this into, like, a critique on on 90s culture in a holiday (laughs) film. Um, Their bullying scene is really upsetting. Why do you say that? Because we have a kid who's like, I'm the bully. And then there's a moment, so we have a couple run-ins with this bully, and then there's a moment where Ralphie turns on him and beats the shit out of him. Beats him bloody. And, like, whites out. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this movie, like, it's not this. And there could very easily be, like, a feminist critique on this movie of, like, Wow, toxic masculinity really does harm us all because the mom 
the dad with his fucking leg lamp, and that's the only thing that brings him joy. You know. Ralphie with his need for a gun, his younger brother... God bless him. (laughs) His younger brother with his whole thing of, like, needing to be stapled to his mother's side at every waking moment. Sure. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the brother, and, like, I just don't think we're gonna get it. Have I been calling... No. Okay, Ralphie is the main kid. Randy. Okay. Oh, because they did the thing where they named their... Excuse me. They did the thing where they named their kids kind of similar. Sure. And... Ta-da! Did you know anybody where all of the family members had the same initials? Oh, God. Um... There was a family down the street from me where every member of the household had the initials KH. Oh, interesting. I don't think so. I did live next door next door to a family who had like nine children. Gotcha. But that's not the same thing. It's just in the same like I feel like those families same kind of person. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Going back to your point about the bullying. I think that's one of the things that, like, is supposed to evoke nostalgia. It's like, oh, remember your bully? Remember every block had that one kid who, like, if an adult looked at him, he'd go, oh, you clearly are, like, from a a broken home. Let's Mm -hmm. get you some soup, kid. But because you were littler than him, he, like, terrorized you. And wouldn't it have been amazing if one day you just completely berserked out and beat the shit out of him? And a lot of people are sitting there going, like, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been great. I so wish I could have beaten on him so hard I'd completely black out and forget it happening. Yeah. I don't remember what happens after that point. Does he get punished? His his little brother or somebody goes and finds his mom who comes and, like, pulls him off. And once he is pulled off of the bully, he, like, immediately he's overwhelmed and he starts, like, bawling and sobbing his own self. Mm. And the mother in a... I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. Like... immediately goes into that that sort of protector mode of like oh let me hold you let me comfort you we're gonna walk away from this youth who is bleeding at my feet like it's like good it's good parenting but i don't think it's good adulting yes that's a really good way to put it yeah If it feels like we're kind of meandering and like kind of nestling into niche conversations about other things, it's because we are. And I think that's an indictment against this film. (laughs) Because we can't have a coherent conversation about it? Is that what you're saying? No, I just like this movie. (laughs) Not not that we can't have a, a coherent conversation, but I think there isn't that much to say about A Christmas Story. Like, it's clearly meant for somebody else. And we've seen other films that are clearly meant for a different type of demographic. But there's just something about this one. Maybe it's because it's about 
the, like the demographic it's for is white boys who grew into white men in the 50s. I'm just like, eh. Here's the thing. When we had white boys who grew up to be white men and watched weird science, we had a scathing critique about mm. how women are treated. Sure. I think in this movie, we have... We don't have as much to talk about because it's just... LOL, capitalism of Christmas. Right. And how Christmas comes with familial pressure. And how Christmas basically both hides and highlights everything that's wrong with your family. Yeah. Because, like, it highlights how detached Ralphie's father is and it highlights how just kind of resigned the mother is Mm -hmm. it highlights how consumerist the kids are because they don't really care about much other than the toys right and like their own personal goings on and like yeah they're kind of not intertwined in each other's lives And it hides how all of that is shitty because at the end of the day, just like you said, the dad puts his arm around his wife and they drink another glass of wine and they watch the snow fall. And the dad sheepishly looks at his wife about buying his son a frickin' gun and is like, well, I had one when I was his age. Like, that's okay to buy your son a weapon without talking to your partner. Like, in today's... Society, that wouldn't be okay. Right. I think it would just be, like, a big problem. But here it is. But here it is. And and I, I think that's all very astute and right. Um, I think movies have more to say now. And I'm trying to figure mm. out if that's okay. Because, like, this movie does a thing where it dips into... A certain kind of Americana. Sure. And that has become its own, like, storytelling device. Everybody Hates Chris does that. The Wonder Years does that. F is for Family, which is, like, the X-rated version of this, does that. Mm. Um, And so I'm trying to figure out, like, is it okay that this movie was maybe the progenitor of that storytelling device. I'm, I'm, I'm searching for things to say positive about this movie. Because at the end of the day, I thought it was perfectly fine. I wonder if I'd have a greater like attachment to it if I saw it as a kid, and I don't think I would. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, I saw uh, a tweet after we watched this film where it's like, oh, remember this movie? It's in the Library of Congress. A Christmas story is in the Library of Congress because, like, somebody thought that this was Pax Americana Christmas Mm. and needed to be noted. And I'm just sitting here like, her? (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yes. And... A lot of shitty things are in the Library of Congress. That's fair. So, so many, so many shitty things are in the Library of Congress. 
And if you think about it, like examples of Americana are also, hey, pull off at a certain exit in Iowa and you can see the biggest ball of yarn. Sure. Or um, when you go to a restaurant, we're going to have every single license plate ever. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's fair. Like, my thing is, I don't even think this is bad. Because, like, I'll make an argument that Plan 9 from Outer Space deserves to be in the Library of Congress. It's awful, but it needs to be there. This is just mid, and I'm fascinated by that. Oh, because it isn't aggressively bad? Like, in a way, it would make more sense to me if it was aggressively bad. See, that's fascinating you say that, because I think, like, when I think of you saying Plan 9 deserves to be in the Library of Congress, sure, because it is an example of one of the earliest examples of filmmaking. Sure. And that's why it deserves to be in the Library of Congress. This was made in the 80s. It's just a random movie that a lot of people have high esteem for for some reason. No. And it captures a specific time frame very well. Yeah. I think that more than anything. I am fascinated. So we haven't watched it and we probably won't because I don't think it qualifies as cult. But after we watched this, we specifically looked up the Christmas Story 2 trailer. Yes. And I think that movie, just even by seeing the trailer, has more to say about this family and this story than the original movie itself does. Yes, I I would absolutely agree with that. Listeners, if you're completely unaware... In the year of our Lord, 2022, they have come out with a sequel to A Christmas Story, which is literally called A Christmas Story Christmas. It stars as many actors from this film as they could get playing the same characters. And the whole thing is it's like 40 years later and Ralphie's a dad now. And he comes home and sees his old friends who were like the postman and the guy who runs a bar. (coughs) And it does this really interesting, at least the trailer makes it sound like, it does this really interesting examination of like how Ralphie got messed up by the events of A Christmas Story. And his relationship with his dad and who his dad was and his mom saying, like, you have to bring the spirit of your dad back because he's recently died. Right. And so that idea of, like, that idea casts the original movie in a better light because then it's like, oh, is this movie actually about how Ralphie's dad is Christmas for Ralphie? Like, is this... What is happening here? What what thesis is trying to occur? Right. And that is such a more interesting thing to chew on. Than this movie. Than this movie. And I think it's really interesting that the primary selling point of A Christmas Story Christmas is, hey, we literally got the cast of the first one. Like, it's the same kids and now they're adults. And we got uh, Melinda... Whatever her name is. 
We got the mom. We would have gotten the dad, but he died. Melinda Dillon, Darren McGavin. Yes. Respectively. Respectively. Um, I, I just think it's fascinating that that is like the selling point. And I think that says something else about A Christmas Story mm-hmm. is like this film exists in a really weird bubble in that there's really no eight-list actor. There's no celebrity cameo to like hang its hat on. The people in this film went on to have careers. Like Peter Billingsley has done movies, but like they are known for being in A Christmas Story so much so that when they remade this movie for a like sequel reboot thing, the big selling point was we got the whole cast back. Mm-hmm. Except for Darren McGavin, who's dead. <laughs> I mean, same for Gilmore Girls, the revival, except for Edward. Except for he's Edward dead. Herman, who's dead. He's dead. <laughs> Fair enough. Sing like this. Deck the horse with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la. But I'm just saying, I think there's something to like that giving it poignancy and meaning. And now, like, looking back, it's like, oh, the second one has more context than the first one does. And, like, actually makes a better movie, and I haven't even seen it. Right. It. I think it's worth, like, giving a look-see and maybe, like, expounding a little on Twitter about, listeners, if you like A Christmas Story and want to live in this universe a little bit more, apparently you can now. Apparently there's a second one. Apparently there's a second one. A better one. A second one. That one. (laughs) Sure. I will say for everyone who thought it was a good movie, apparently the Canadians agree with you because this won hella genie awards, which are, I didn't know this, the Canadian Oscars. Good for Canada having Oscars. Good for Canada having Oscars. Apparently it ran for the, wait no, I'm going to actually look this up. Genie Awards. Okay, so apparently the Genie Awards were to recognize the best of Canadian cinema from 1980 to 2012. A fascinatingly specific, like, set of, of, of years to be doing that in. I'm not mad at it. I'm, I'm glad it won something. Kind of in the same vein, something I didn't know but kind of learned in looking at the IMDb for this. This is directed by a guy named Bob Clark. Bob Clark is like a beloved Canadian director. For one really, really fascinating specific reason, this is directed by the same man who directed Black Christmas, which a lot of people say is the original slasher film. And I kind of love that this man directed two pseudo cult or pseudo iconic, certainly cult Christmas movies. And one is like a beloved family feature, and the other is a truly terrifying Christmas slasher film. When did Black Christmas come out? Black Christmas came out in 1974. This came out in 1983. So. Black Christmas came first, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Huh. 
I don't know what to do with that. I don't, I don't either. I have no clue what to do with that, and I love it for it. Good job, Bob Clark. Bob Clark? <laughs> Good for you, Bob Clark. Good for you, Bob Clark. And he also wrote it. So, yes, he uh, helped write the movie. Um, I was unaware of this until recently, but this was based off a book. Which might explain a couple of things. Might just. If this was a book that came out in like 1970, it makes a lot more sense as to why we're sitting here talking about like growing up in the late 40s, early 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, there's your reading recommendation, by the way, everybody. If you really love this story, you can go read it, apparently. And that book is by... And that book is by Gene Shepard. So our screenwriter who wrote the movie also wrote the book that inspired the hilarious classic film A Christmas Story. It's a novel by this same exact name and on the cover is a very sad drawing of a blonde boy wearing big glasses dressed up as a bunny but he also is holding the BB gun. Indeed. And you can buy it on Amazon for the low, low price of ten dollars and ninety-three or twenty-three cents. Okay. <laughs> and that's the hardcover, folks. And that's the hardcover. If you really want to add to your list of Christmas books, question, question mark. mark? <laughs> so is this cult? I mean, like, I feel like it is because people quote it all the time. That's the big thing for me is this movie is insanely quotable. More than most Christmas films, I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll shoot your eye out. What is it? It's a lamp. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of, of stuff in this that people will quote or reference bits about and go with that. It's super niche. It's, uh, it's pretty damn racist. We didn't even get into that. Um. Yeah, because I feel like it's just like... Oh, it's set in the 40s. Therefore, it's racist and sexist and... Well, you pointed this out. Yes, it's set in the 40s. It was shot in the 80s. The first and one of the only actors of color immediately... uh, The first and one of the only actors of color in the entire film is presented as a, like, imaginary burglar. So already not great. Not great. And then gets shot and dies. He's the first person to die in the film. Exactly. Um, They make a really... they, They make a meal out of how funny it would be to go to a Chinese restaurant on Christmas... And, oh, wow, these Chinese waiters are singing jingle bells, and they say their L's like R's. Ha, ha, ha. And we're just sitting there like, uh, this is awful. Uh, this is uncomfortable. Veiled anti-Semitism. There's one kid who is the Jewish kid. Yeah. And I can't remember the exact line, but, like, when they're doing the double dog dare line, Ralphie says something about Schwartz being like the most nefarious among them or something. And I'm like, is that, is that a, huh? Interesting. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. Um, what I'm not reading too much into, there is something very fucked up about the Christmas dinner at the Chinese food scene that I did not know. Oh, 
the, the scene ends with them bringing out a, like, peeking duck for the meal and cutting its head off. Sure. Everybody, presumably even the children, knew that that was going to happen, except... I'm not going to mess up her name. Except for Melinda Dillon. They specifically did not tell her that the Peking duck was going to get its head chopped off because they wanted her reaction to be genuine. Specifically just hers. That is so fucked up in, a, in the misogynistic 80s way. I mean, so often does that happen in media. All of the time. I feel like there's so many examples of... Oh, we're just going to drive this woman crazy. I'm thinking of The Shining specifically. Yeah, for sure. We're going to drive this woman crazy so we can get better acting out of her. At least when Ridley Scott did it for Alien, he didn't tell anybody. Like it was it was equilateral uh, of, of mental abuse. <laughs> Whereas here, it's just one person. It's just one person. It's fine. It's just the woman. It's just the woman <laughs> who, to segue nicely, is the way that we can connect this movie to Kevin Bacon. Oh, wonderful. Okay. In two. So I will go ahead and state. Hmm. I mentioned this is like a, a movie that kind of lives in a bubble. I, I tried to figure one out. And spoiler alert, I failed. I was trying to think like, okay, the guy who plays the bully, I, I know he's in Freddy vs. Jason. I know Catherine Isabel from Ginger Snaps is in Freddy vs. Jason. Did Catherine Isabel and Kevin, Kevin Bacon ever make a movie together? I don't know. This is hard. This is the first time I do not have a Bacon. I could not figure one out. Which is surprising because we've done Ginger Snaps and we've done Bacons with Ginger Snaps. So why did you not go back to your Ginger <laughs> I, Snaps? Then? I couldn't remember it. But we keep these things on a Google Drive where it's like, oh, hey, you could access that shit. And maybe I'll do that next Christmas. <laughs> Join us next time when Andy actually figures out his shit. Um, Melinda Dillon has Bacon number of two. Okay. Because she was in because she was in advance to Ground Zero with the great Martin Sheen. Okay. And Martin Sheen was in Eight with Kevin Bacon. Well, damn! All right. So, ta-da! Egg on my face. You're you're fine. I just also cheat a lot. <laughs> um, do we have Oscars for this movie? I was really hard pressed. So since I did a Kevin Bacon, do you want to do an Oscar? So this is the first movie where I didn't have a Bacon and you don't have an Oscar. I that is how middle of the line <laughs> this fucking movie is. <laughs> I do, I do have an Oscar. Okay. We've, we've talked about it, and I would honestly like to give A Christmas Story the Oscar for Most Nostalgic Christmas Movie for Boomers. Yeah. Because It's a Wonderful Life is for the silent generation. <laughs> so what do we... Oh, we have Home Alone. We have Home Alone or Jingle All the Way, and... There are too many Christmas movies for the, the the youths, the ones younger than us. The youths. The youths. I think the youths 
the youths who are like our younger siblings backslash our baby cousins is the Grinch. Yeah. And then after that, it's just like even more removed from us. You have people who unironically enjoy the Santa Claus or... Oh, man. The Santa Claus movies I haven't thought about in forever. There's somebody out there who Netflix's A Jingle Jangle Christmas is going to be like their their Hallmark movie. Good for them. Good for them. Well, um, we do not have a movie to pick next time because this was a special one-off. So, Andy, is there anything else you want to talk about before we close it out? Uh, just because, yeah, no, you're right. We, we don't have a, a, a movie to pull. We have recorded a couple of episodes that were recorded before this, but are coming out after it. Um, just because I want to keep the continuity going. I want to mention that organically the movie we found next time is Velvet Goldmine. The, um, pseudo David Bowie erotic thriller mystery biopic thing it's a hoot and a half which fun enough is going to come out on the episode that releases closest to david bowie's birthday so like oh my god the crypt is brilliant it knew it knew and it knew how we would record and it knew we would remember to shove a christmas episode together in the final minutes and it knew that we were going to forget to post things in the not final moments. Wow. What a crypt. What a crypt. What a leg. Well, all that to say, happy holidays, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed your time. If you are actually listening to this around the time we post the episode, gosh, you're a wonderful person. And we hope you have a very good and merry time. I'm not even going to do my normal closeout. I think you did good. Oh, well, thank you. Then join us next time for Velvet Goldmine. Wishing you a happy holidays. For Stephanie Johnson, I'm Andy Bowell.